Greetings, Earthlings. This is Born to be Mild, and I'm your host, Kelsey. Consider me your resident overthinker, your professional cynic, and a massive self-critic. From interviews to audio diaries, let's consider Born to be Mild our space to explore all of the things inside and outside the comfort zone, exploring life, especially the messy bits. This is Born to be Mild. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day you are listening. Welcome back to the podcast. I am hunched over on the couch because my spine is collapsing. We are at that stage of pregnancy where it's all fallen apart. Things are heavy, they are large, they are not in charge, they are aching. But you know who else seems to be having a rough go of it lately are Harry and Meghan. Do you love that segue? Do you love how I really just nailed that? Actually, I do want to say Meghan Markle is one of those people that made pregnancy to me. I mean, celebrities in general make pregnancy look easier, but there were several moments in the documentary. They did that Netflix documentary. There's so much footage in there of her while she's pregnant, and she looks really cute. Like, she's wearing these cute little outfits. She's, like, outdoor gardening. And I'm like, I can't even take my dog on a 15-minute walk without having, like, raging sciatica pain down the back of my right leg. So more power to her. It's probably because her torso is longer than mine, but I feel like I'm being suffocated, and he is crunching every nerve in my body. So it just set, like, a little bit of an unrealistic standard, but I digress. That actually seems to be one of the major complaints that the general public has with Meghan Markle is that essentially she is manipulative and fake and a snake and all of these things. We'll get into it. But the headlines have been everywhere. Like you would really have to be under a rock to have not seen some of this Meghan and Harry drama that's been unfolding over the past three years. I just want to start by saying in general, I love the Brits. I love you. I love your contributions to society. Like how your history is basically about boldly and shamelessly stealing other people's societies. But in more serious nature, I also appreciate that you invented Tea Time and Great British Bake Off. I became majorly addicted to Great British Bake Off during the pandemic. In fact, I'd never watched an episode prior to 2020, March of 2020. And then all of a sudden it was like I needed the serotonin boost and everybody told me you have to watch that show. So I went on like a full binge And that's actually why I started baking like crazy was because of that show during quarantine. There's really a lot about British culture that I love or understand and admire. What I don't understand is your obsession with the tabloids and monarchy. The thing is, is like the U.S. press is its own nightmare. It's all terribly skewed. It's very political. To be informed about any topic these days, you basically have to be reading articles from a thousand different news sources just to try and understand all sides of the issue and get even a smidgen of accurately non-biased context with any event. What I don't think America has is tabloids in the same sense as the British. And maybe that's because we just don't have royals in general. Like, obviously, we have Us Weekly and, you know, stuff like that. Like, we follow Miley Cyrus's journey through her breakup and revenge songs against Liam. Is his name Liam? I don't even really pay attention to them. That's the type of stuff we follow, right? We follow Hollywood celebrity pop culture. We don't have a royal palace and a monarchy to follow. Quite frankly, there are few things as un-American as a monarchy. 
And so therefore, my emotional attachment or loyalty to that institution is absolutely non-existent, like most Americans. We kicked the crown to the curb. It's been all hot dogs and fireworks and trashy reality TV ever since. And you know what? We'll accept a lot of things in this country, a lot, but a monarchy is not one of them. And maybe this is why Harry and Meghan fled. Did they fled? They didn't even go here. They didn't even flee the monarchy to come here. I think they tried to go to Canada. Now they're in like Montecito or something, somewhere where rich people live. But the point is, is they're undeniably more popular here in the U.S. than they are in England. And I do think that this is potentially why we welcomed Harry and Meghan with open arms, because we are the land of the free. Yes, come here, shit talk the monarchy, move to Hollywood, do what you got to do, be one of us. Also, it's a rite of passage for basically every American to have a toxic family and toxic in-laws. So really, they're just sliding right into our society. Here's why we're seeing them everywhere right now. Let me break it down for you in case you are one of the people that have been living under a rock. Harry and Meghan got engaged in 2017. They were married in 2018. We remember all the headlines. It was all gorgeous, all beautiful. There was some drama with Meghan's dad because apparently he was like selling photos of himself to various press outlets and things like that. So her side of the family, bit of a hot mess. Once again, very American, even though I don't even know if she's, is she American? I don't even know. This is the thing. I only follow vaguely. But the point is, is they were getting relatively decent press, it seems, up until maybe like 2019. Late 2018, 2019, the headlines start rolling in and they're not looking so pretty for our our fair Meg or Harry, to be quite frank. You know, Harry's never gotten great press. He's always been the one that's kind of been like captured in photos of wearing Nazi uniform costumes to Halloween parties and doing drugs and being drunk and whatever else. You know, somebody had to take the hit. It was him. It was not Will. The headlines were looking worse and worse. And then basically in early 2020 is when Harry and Meghan announced that they were going to step back from the monarchy, move to Canada and denounce their, I, I don't think denounce their titles, but basically just like take a step back from being royal. Things were relatively calm and quiet for about a year. And then there was the explosive Oprah interview that they gave in 2021 followed by the Netflix series that just came out at the end of 2022. And now, as of early January, Harry released his autobiography, the book Spare. I'll keep it very honest. I pre-ordered that shit as soon as it was possible to pre-order as a Kindle download. So that automatically downloaded to my Kindle the first day it was available. And then some of my coworkers were like, okay, but I want the audiobook because I want to hear this man read it himself. So then I had to also buy the audiobook. So I'm essentially single handedly funding their escape to America. Harry's beef with the press goes way back. And that's pretty much the main thing that Harry does in the Oprah interview, in the Netflix documentary, and definitely in this book is it's just one long rant about hating the British press. He's got a lot of reason for it. So even before Meghan, the press has slandered all of Harry's love interests, basically, and he's pretty much been unable to protect them from it. So I get it. That on top of the fact that the press absolutely eviscerated his mother while she was alive and potentially contributed to how she died. 
It seems like the unfair press that Megan started to get is sort of where the system really started to break down. And there are a lot of interesting articles out there that actually do show you the difference between between headlines that Kate Middleton has gotten and headlines that are pretty much similar, but just really slanderous and negative that Megan has gotten. So sort of like the unfair portrayal and the way that the press has favored Kate and then hated on Megan. I pulled some of them up just for shits and giggles. So about Kate Middleton while she was pregnant, the Daily Mail wrote, not long to go, pregnant Kate tenderly cradles her baby bump while wrapping up her royal duties ahead of maternity leave. And William confirms she's due any minute now. Meanwhile, (laughs) when Megan was pregnant, so that headline came out March 2018. In January of 2019, the Daily Mail has a headline with Meghan Markle being pregnant, and their headline for this is, Why Can't Meghan Markle Keep Her Hands Off Her Bump? Experts tackle the question that has got the nation talking. Is it pride, vanity, or a new age bonding technique? This comparison is really interesting to me because... The Daily Mail was like rather neutral about Kate and Will doing this. But so in January of 2014, Kate and Will's Inc., Duke and Duchess secretly set up companies to protect their brand, just like the Beckhams. But then in January of 2020, the Daily Mail's headline for the same exact thing, except for Meghan and Harry, a right royal cash in how Prince Harry and Meghan Markle trademarked over 100 items from hoodies to socks six months before split with monarchy with new empire worth up to 400 million. I I mean, the examples go on and on. It is pretty obvious, whether you like Meghan and Harry or not, that the press has not necessarily treated them in a very equal and fair manner. So most of the Netflix documentary is basically Harry and Meghan talking shit about the press. And then Spare sort of continues that same type of griping, but we're layering on some of the more familial drama And that's what's stirring up some of these even more aggressive headlines lately, because the other piece of Meghan and Harry's beef is basically the toxicity of the royal dynamic itself. So one, Harry growing up as the spare and what that looks like and feels like and means, and then just sort of the way that the press has made it so that they haven't been able to tell their story because... The palace and the press, according to Harry and Meghan, are sort of in cahoots. And it sounds like the palace is quite frequently trading stories. So in order to make sure that favorable stories are happening about uh, Will and Kate and Charles and Camilla, the palace is essentially trading shit stories or letting shit untrue stories about Harry and Meghan run amok because the tabloids have to get their juice somehow So it's almost like letting them serve them up on a platter. I would imagine this idea of spare, to be quite frank, and I I should just call up my middle brother and ask him, there's probably a lot about this that is just sibling dynamic. Like, yes, you're the heir and the spare in the sense of like, if something happened to William, that would have then put Harry next in line. Now Will has kids, so the whole thing is, is what it is, but... Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot there, right? There's a lot of weird dynamics in growing up in understanding that like before your older brother has kids and starts his own family, that you are essentially the backup in case something happens. 
But some of Harry's complaints to me do read quite frequently, just like the same type of stuff my own middle brother probably had to deal with after following in my footsteps. Like he refused to go to the same high school I went to because he didn't want to go in there and be known as, oh, you're Kelsey's brother. Like he wanted to have his own identity and I didn't get that at the time and I respect it more now than I did then. There are plenty of parts during this book where Harry complains about Will not paying attention to him and not uh, wanting to hang out with him and just pretend that we don't know each other. I absolutely did that to my brother. So there is a lot here that is just brotherly shit, sibling shit. But it is interesting when you kind of apply all of that under the lens of being ridiculously famous and having the pressure of being royal. The Atlantic actually (laughs) released an article that called Harry's book they said it reads as a quote-unquote spew of unprocessed emotions. And it does kind of read like that at times. I'm only about 50% of the way through. I'm just, I'm finding myself a little distracted. But it does kind of read like that. It reads like a guy who maybe only recently started therapy and like journaled it all down and was just trying to get it out. The palace is doing their usual thing where they don't comment on anything. But of course, all of these British tabloids are getting information from quote-unquote sources And one source I do distinctly remember, I don't even have to look up this quote, said something about how Harry was like trapped in the cult of psychotherapy, which just made me cackle that like the idea that somebody going to get therapy is a a cult. (laughs) Again, a very like quintessential difference between being British and American, apparently, like I still feel like there's crazy stigma in this country about mental health and mental health services and Therapy, unfortunately, is not accessible to a lot of people. It's really expensive. Most insurance plans don't cover it, and so a lot of it's out of pocket. But I do feel like we have a more open dialogue, at least with, you know, millennials, Gen Z, our younger generations. There is a much more loud and vocal dialogue about therapy and mental health services. So the fact that some, like, you know, I'm going to assume some old British person... (laughs) is essentially saying he's trapped in the cult of psychotherapy. I don't know, man. Again, like whether you agree with all of the Harry and Meghan stuff or not, I actually respect a guy who's in his 40s, I'm thinking at this point, for going to therapy and trying to figure it out and trying to sort through some of this. I tried to understand what it is people hate so much about them. I think I've distilled it down into two main complaints people seem to have. And even though I'm kind of a stan, to be honest, like I'm kind of into them. I think they're young. I think they're cute. I think they reasonably are trying to get their shit together. And I think they've been put in a weird position. And I also think Harry from a young age has been exposed to a lot of trauma and he's basically like a child star. And we all know how those turned out. So name me like five child stars that have not had some sort of trauma and had that impact their adulthood. I don't think you can do it. So to be quite frank, I have a soft spot for them. But I am very interested in trying to understand why people feel so strongly about them and why people cannot stand them as a couple. The number one reason, the number one complaint I seem to see out there is that people say, well, you say you want to leave the monarchy. You say you don't want to be royal anymore, but then you can't stop talking about it. Like what you're going on TV, you're doing interviews, you're doing this Oprah interview, you're doing the Netflix series, you're now releasing this book. Like if you want to disappear, disappear, fade into the background. Why do you have to bring up all this shit? Like why are you, why are you soaking up all this fame, you fame hog? 
I do actually feel like we need to address this in a twofold argument. So number one, and I, I would agree with some of this criticism, is that it feels to me like he's trying to settle the score. Like after decades of being told this old royal palace philosophy of never complain, never explain, he's now free of that. And he's like trying to settle the score and tell his side of the story or their side of the story. He wants to expose some of this stuff. Where the line is for that, I don't know. Like it does feel like some of the stuff that he's saying, particularly about his family, is a little bit more cruel than than I would think would be necessary in order to just share your side of the story. Like sometimes it's leaning a little too emotional rather than factual. So yeah, I see that criticism, right? Like, do you really need to be petty, Mr. Petty LaBelle, and like settle the score in that way? Fine, whatever. The thing that I think nobody's really talked about and that I have been contemplating is what their cost is of actually being a former royal. Like this concept of wanting to step back out of the royal system, out of the royal family, not do that anymore. I'm not even sure that's like entirely possible for them to disappear into the shadows, even if that's what they wanted to do. And here's why I think that. I think it's probably not safe. And I'm curious how much it costs for them to just be them, like to just exist with their level of fame. I don't actually know what it costs to be that. So I would assume that if I am that level of famous and people hate me that much and there's that level of interest in my life, I might be in danger. Like I might have people stalking me. I might have paparazzi following me. I might have safety risks and concerns. So while I'm not suggesting that everyone needs to like fly private all the time, I guess what I've been wondering, and I almost wish they would just like transparently tell us like what it costs, like could they actually not have security? Probably not. And so therefore, like how much does security cost for a family of four for a year? So I understand people are like, ew, go away, stop taking $100 million, $200 million or whatever it is for these Netflix series and Oprah interview and this and that. Well... I don't know. Like, how else are they supposed to pay for the security that they need to even just be safe or survive if the palace has revoked their, you know, palace-provided security? So, I don't know. Like, they obviously come from a place of privilege. They don't need to have a mansion in Montecito. Like, they're living a little rich. But at the same time, I kind of get why they do need to find other ways to make money. Because how else are they supposed to exist? Like, they can't just fade into the background because, quite frankly, I don't think the press and the general public is going to let that happen. So, therefore, there's probably a cost of just being them. The other reason people just seem to hate them in general is this weird argument of Megan being some sort of, like, temptress who, like, seduced him with her evil wiles. And it's it's a very interesting headline. It's a very anti-woman headline. Because essentially what people are saying is Harry was in this life for years. He never showed any predisposition to leave it. He never particularly looked unhappy. He, like, he was fine, right? It was what it was. And then all of a sudden Megan comes along and she's stirring up trouble and there's all these bad headlines and all this drama and it's all Megan's fault. Let's blame Megan. I do have some problems with this narrative. 
First of all, it's very anti-woman. It's incredibly anti-woman. Because here's the thing. Harry is a grown-ass man. He went to war. And like real war. Like it wasn't like volunteer services. He wasn't doing like BS missions. He literally went to Afghanistan. He came back. He survived. That was actual fighting and actual war. So he's a grown man who has lived parts of life that I think most of us could never even imagine. On top of that, he's had other relationships. So he's not naive. He's not a guy that's like never left the house, whether the house is a palace or not. Like he has experience. He has life experience. So to sort of say that he's like some gullible guy that got caught up in like her magic spell to me is so anti-woman at its core. I don't personally see Harry as a guy that would do things he doesn't want to do. So if anything, what this means is, is meeting her has opened up a different part of him or helped him change or feel empowered for the first time in his life, potentially. I actually think we might be seeing the strongest version of a man in a royal family position than we've probably seen in a long time. Because the truth is, is when his family was threatened, he did the exact opposite of what really a lot of the male role models in his household have done in the past. He actually fought for her. So when the headlines were going south and things were going bad, he wasn't cheating or having affairs or, you know, slandering back or fighting or doing that. Like, he protected her. He picked up their bags or his butler picked up their bags and flew them in their private jet to Canada. There are definitely a lot of headlines about Megan being sort of like a diva and demanding and all these things. And I do often find myself wondering, like, is she a diva? Is she Mariah Carey? You know, is she that Hollywood actress kind of persona? Or is she an American woman in British society? It's a real question, people, and I don't have the answer to it. But I can tell you that You know, in general, I would say us Americans are viewed as rather garish and rather unrefined in the global society. I pretty much agree with it on most, (laughs) in most scenarios. Like every time my husband and I do travel abroad and there are other American tourists, we're always trying to put, like, we don't know them. Okay. They are from Kansas or somewhere. I don't know where the fuck they're from, but we are not from there. We are from California, which is basically like being from a part of France or Italy or somewhere where they give a shit about the environment and other people. I do wonder if she actually is the diva that the press makes her out to be or if she's literally just American and goes to therapy and speaks her mind and doesn't fit in with the social constructs of being a British royal or a British woman. Who's to say? Not me. I will say, though, sometimes it is, I have to acknowledge, very hard to listen to some of the complaints that she has in particular, uh, or both of them, really, when they sit in such a place of privilege. So, like, there have been comments in interviews where (laughs) Harry's talking about, like, Frogmore Cottage. I think it's like a cottage on the grounds of the palace. And so he was mentioning, like, oh, we're living at the palace, and she'll cut him off and say, we're living on the grounds of the palace. Like, as if that's, you know dirty like it's it's obviously not as good as living in the palace but it just comes across like slightly ignorant or obtuse yeah or like some of the complaints that she had about how she had to like stifle herself by wearing these like muted colors this muted wardrobe while she was 
you know, integrating into Royal British society. And it's like, if you look up the cost of some of those clothes, like they're really nice, like tens of tens of thousands of dollars this wardrobe was. So I understand like the underlying complaint that she has about these things, about being sort of like isolated, about not being treated fairly, about having to like stifle herself. Like, I don't mean to invalidate like the pieces of that that are true, but some of it comes across super obtuse and ignorant, particularly when all of this has sort of like come to a really disgusting head during a tumultuous time for the globe. Like 2020, the pandemic, hello, people were dying, people were losing their jobs. And so this all seems like a little bit of a faff, you know, like you're really complaining about all this. I don't know. It's not a good look. It all probably just comes across a little tone deaf at times. And I do get that. I understand where that complaint is kind of coming in. What is coming to the surface for me with this whole topic and why I think people are so fascinated by it is not only is this peeling back the curtains on a really private institution that thrives on sort of the distance between itself and the public, like what makes the palace what it is, is sort of that illusion. We don't really know what's going on. We can only speculate. So yeah, obviously there's like an allure and a glamour there. But I also think there's something really raw and real under the covers about family dynamics and some of the toxicity of that and and dealing with that in a public sphere. Why, to me, I think people are really latching onto this is because in a lot of ways it feels relatable. And to see people in such high positions of power with such great wealth potentially be just as unhappy as some of the rest of us and have some of the same problems as the rest of us when it comes to family and the arguments that we have, I think it seems relatable. I think that's why people are attracted to the story and trying to learn more. I'm not like a pop culture podcast. I don't do like gossip column type shit. I just personally found this whole story to be really interesting to follow. I do think their days are a little bit numbered. Like how much longer can you talk about this? So cash your checks now. I think the book has been like one of the top selling books in the UK during this time and definitely in the US. So Harry is all over the talk shows with all of this. Get your checks, cash it out. You're going to have to pay for security for the next like million decades. I get it. I'm interested to see how it all sort of plays out. I don't personally think that they're going to be able to like reconcile as a family. I don't think my family would be able to reconcile if I said some of the shit that he said about his family in a newspaper, let alone to their face. (laughs) So good luck with that. But yeah, not my usual topic. I just personally am intrigued, I guess, by the family dynamic element of it. And I'm definitely interested to keep chatting about it while it's still a topic. So hit me up on Instagram at Kelsey Boyanju. Are you a fan? Are you a stan? Or do you hate Harry and Meghan? I'm trying my best here, okay? I don't know how else to sign off. Anyway, you, you know the drill. Find me on Instagram. Let's gossip. Let's talk about it. I will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Born to be Mild. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review and subscribe. Subscribe.